Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, wow, that took a sweet time. All right, hey, everybody. Jacob Suntra, managing editor of Fear the Fin, here with Marcus White, staff writer at Fear the Fin, uh, doing a late-ish-ish. It's not really a late night yet, but still, still Halloween here. Right, exactly. Ooh, nice. Fear the Fin After Dark. I like that. Uh, so let's start with uh, what is currently, at this time, at 10.50 p.m. Pacific time, uh, breaking news in that uh, Sharks prospect Jeremy Waugh appears to be uh, have suffered, well, not appears, it definitely has suffered a knee injury, which appears to be uh, uh, pretty serious. According to, we're seeing this from pucknology.net, um, that the prognosis released Sunday night says he will be out for months and possibly miss the rest of the season. Um, I'll have a post up on this by the time that you're listening to this on iTunes, so you can head to the site of fearthefin.com, where we'll also have the video, which um, I'm not going to recommend you watch unless you, you, you like watching knee-on-knee collisions. Um, but for those of you, I'm looking at you, Tomas, do not watch the video. It's not worth it, buddy. All right. All right. We'll send you a, a nice copy of minions and you're going to watch that instead. Don't watch <laughs> this. Um, we had him rated, uh, we being the readers of fear, the fin, uh, had him rated as the number seven prospect in the shark system. And this is, uh, it's pretty brutal. This was the top, uh, top defender, uh, in the system for sure. Um, this this sucks a lot. You know, he's only 19, which I guess maybe is the silver lining of the whole thing. But this is pretty tough to uh, to see a guy, you know, so young um, and so so promising and so talented take, you know, what can be, you know, a career-altering injury. Uh, yeah, this is pretty, pretty brutal. TVA in Canada uh, first reported the news actually yesterday on October 30th in the afternoon. I think part of the reason it didn't get picked up uh, as much as it maybe would have was because the tweet is originally written in French. Uh, Corey Prodman picked it up today. I took a semester of French and I cannot uh, say that I can exactly translate it, but it does seem to say that the absence will be prolonged uh, and like it seems like it's going to be indefinite. Um, Corey Prodman tweeted that it's possible that Waz's season is over. And, you know, this is a, a big blow, you know, not to mention for the for Waz's career, but, you know, as well for the Sharks and their blue line uh, situation, you know, they're, we haven't talked about necessarily on the podcast, but I think we've alluded to it and you can tell it by our, our reader ranking and seeing six forwards ahead of Wa, who was the seventh rated player under 25. Um, and he was the highest defenseman. Not a lot of depth on the blue line in the system. Yes. Tim Heat, Tim Heat is there. Uh, Dylan DeMello is up with the big club. And Mirko Mueller's playing down with the Barracuda, as is Julius Bergman. But uh, there's re- Julius Bergman, excuse me. There's really not, though, a ton of depth uh, on the blue line. And Wah was, I think it's fair to say, without a doubt, the Sharks' best prospect on that blue line. Um, I know the Sharks were looking forward to him having another year in junior and playing a lot of minutes for his team. Uh, Pete DeBoer even mentioned that. You know, he was a guy who could potentially play for a world junior team in Team Canada. And, you know, Pronman, I believe, wrote that there was talk that Wah could even be a, in the – maybe not even Pronman. Somebody wrote – I read that um, 
Wah could have been in the leadership group for that uh, Canada Canadian World Junior team. You, you know, we know how big of a deal is the World Juniors. It, the World Juniors are especially in Canada, and how it's a good showcase for young players to see how they're doing uh, compared to the best of their peers from other countries. It, it really stakes for the Sharks. I'm I'm interested to see you know and get more information from and hear from them on you know what the what the process is for Wah because you know this is a this is a it's a big blow not only for their farm system but you know potentially to this guy's career even you know the good news is he's 19 he should still have some time but you know I mean we saw how long it took Tomas Hurdle to really truly come back from a season-ending knee injury and you know yes the rehab is a lot easier than it used to be but knees are no fickle matter that's for sure yeah, absolutely. So we'll keep a, a close eye on that or as close as we can. It's always, it, is, it was even tough for Timo Meyer last year. Following guys in the queue is just a, a struggle. The media coverage can be, can be pretty thorough. Uh, it can just also be primarily in French, um, <laughs> which I also took a semester of French in college and uh, it, was, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Uh, so, uh, right. Anywho, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you guys in the loop on that um, as, as best we can. Uh, all right, well, moving on to, I guess, uh, some more positive news. Uh, you know, we'll kind of hit on what, uh, what went on in this last, last week for the Sharks. You know, swept a three-game homestand, beating the Ducks, the Jackets, and then the Predators. Uh, obviously, two of those wins being more impressive than one of them. Um, Sharks look good. They looked convincing. Uh, you know, I think that they definitely took their foot off the gas in that third period against the Predators, which is, uh, while not shocking, is a little disappointing because I felt like that's something they didn't really do very much last season. I thought that was to their benefit uh, a great deal. Um, that being said, I really liked how they played against the Ducks. Um, you know, they did what they needed to do against the Blue Jackets, played a much better game. And, you know, they looked consistently at least through the first two periods like the better team against Nashville what was your takeaway from the uh, from the homestand I think it was very strong I think the game you know against Anaheim they were a little unlucky and they ran into two really good goaltenders because Jonathan Bernier <laughs> before he got hurt was playing really well made an incredible save on Chris Tierney um, the Columbus game you know dominant you know even though they didn't score a ton at even strength and the, the second power play unit really bailed them out and you know one of the stranger games I can remember watching have sitting in the press box and having the, the lights go out on the rink was was pretty strange I don't think I'm ever gonna ever gonna see that again although Pete DeBoer said he's seen it plenty of times and then obviously uh, the win against Nashville I think yes they turned they dialed it back in the third period but you know for my money I think that was maybe their most impressive win of the season just how how much they overwhelmed uh Nashville I was also surprised you know I don't know how you felt about Nashville Jake but I was surprised to see how poorly they played in some areas and how bad Pecorine was. I know he struggled at even strength last year, but he's been having a better year at even strength this year. But I mean, two of the, the second and third goal, I think you can both say were like pretty much on him. The second goal, he, I don't know how he didn't cover that puck with Joe Pavelski shot it from behind the blue line or the red, the goal line, excuse me. I thought for sure he was going to cover the puck. And then the next one, he just completely misreads the angle and, Tommy Wingles catches him out of position, but you know, that that's not to, you know, de-emphasize how impressive the Sharks were. And I think, you know, they're, they're, they're picking it up. And I think that, you know, they maybe started a little slow, but I mean, six and three through nine games, you can't, you can't complain uh, about that. They'd be first place in the division if it wasn't for the uh, seemingly unbeatable Edmonton Oilers. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Pecorino is the same thing that is true for many Finnish goaltenders and European goalies in general is that when they when they are bad, it looks really, really, really bad. Um, it's just a matter of the goaltending style being very aesthetically displeasing, I know in part. Um, and they make a lot of these athletic, incredible, impossible saves. But because they are so mobile, uh, when they make a mistake, it looks a lot worse than when a, you know, a guy like Martin Jones makes a mistake. When Martin Jones makes a mistake, it's like, oh, he didn't, uh, you know, didn't cover the post, right? Because he didn't slide up and pinch up against the, that's a big problem for him and has been over the past year, right? But when Pecorino makes his mistake, it's like he decides he wants to play a puck that's 15 feet in front of the net and only Jesus Christ knows why. You know, so it's it's one of those things where the mistakes don't aren't necessarily they're, they're, they could even be equal, especially by save percentage, which is really at the end of the day the only thing that matters, of course. Um, but Pecorino's mistakes look just awful, and 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 honestly, I don't think he's definitely moved backwards the past couple of years. And I think injuries have to at least be part of the discussion because he's had a real hard time staying on the ice, and. Uh, if he's not good, the Predators are, are in some trouble here. Um, and it kind of seems like they're already – it's one of those things where, like last year, right, the Ducks start very slow and uh, end up winning the division. Why? Well, in part because the Pacific sucked. Yeah. Nashville does not have that luxury. Um, no. Those teams are good, all of them. Yeah. Even the, even the bad teams are, are scary. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, and so I think that's, that's an actual concern if this skid lasts longer. It's like the Kings this year, right? You know, they're going to be without Jonathan Quick, and they're going to struggle a little bit because of that. But, you know, who cares? They're in the Pacific. Two and six they'll be, in the they'll be okay. More of a, is more Correct. damning two and six in the Pacific, I think, for yep. sure. And I think, I mean, Nashville, luckily for them, they faced a pretty loaded schedule to start. We were talking about before the show. They've faced all playoff teams so far through eight games. And, you know, you're, you're pretty, if you're not firing at all cylinders to start the year, you're not going to look very good. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine them even with this start missing the playoffs. Though I'm sure if they do, I will be the readers and listeners will tweet at old takes exposed, and I'll be exposed as the fraud that I am. So, absolutely, they can do that for me too. I can't wait. It'd be <laughs> my uh, my my most famous moment yet. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I was pretty happy with how the Sharks played overall in this homestand. I really liked how they played against Anaheim in particular, and uh, didn't uh, didn't play stupid which is a problem sometimes against the Ducks. Um, yeah. I think the Sharks have actually the past couple years been very, been a lot smarter playing the Ducks than they used to be. There, there was a time when the Sharks would let the Ducks get under their skin a little bit and play that, you know, idiot game that they like to play. Uh, you know, when the Ducks get down by a couple goals, they just turn just stupid. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, I wonder if that's yeah, a poor thing compared to it. And sorry to interrupt, but I think, you know, anecdotally, I, now that I think about it, the last couple of years under DeBoer, you really haven't seen, I don't think you've seen too many, um, you know, not necessarily incidents, but like flare ups, so to speak. And I'm not, I don't, you know, there's, I can't say whether or not this is true or what, I can't even really back this up. You know, I'm just saying what I've seen and can kind of remember it. You know, I, I think with Todd McClellan, you saw a little more chippy, uh, some chippier games, I think, especially in these rivalry games. I think, you know, the, the Sharks have maybe, maybe kind of learn to, you know, channel that physicality into productive ways and to, you know, channel their emotion in productive ways. I think, I mean, even, you know, even last year, a, a game, you know, the first game of the season, you know, instead of uh, getting into a, a line brawl after Milan Lucic ran Logan Couture, Couture was basically just laughing in his face and trolling him. You know, that's a, 
that's a stray observation, but I, I do, I think there's, there might be something there about DeBoer having this team be mo- more composed against, you know, teams like that and not letting them get off their game. Cause I, I can definitely remember when they, especially in games, they lost to the ducks. If they, even if they got down or, you know, that there'd be some shenanigans there. And it, it seems like DeBoer's minimized those for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is just a personality thing. And part of it might also be have to do with just the Sharks core getting a little bit older and more experienced, obviously, too. But, yes. I mean, if you were to comp- if you were to, set- to compare Tom McClellan and Pete DeBoer to, to animals, right, uh, Tom McClellan would be more like, I don't know, a honey badger, whereas Pete DeBoer yeah. would be like a sloth, maybe. And I, I love sloths. Sloths are great. Yeah, I was, so. was going to say a sloth. Uh, maybe not – not as slow, but just kind of cool and calm and, and kind he of He has resting sloth face. Like, it's kind of like all he's the time. even. You don't see, like, you know, even in just watching the practices, he's not yelling or screaming. He's not – if he wants to make a point, he's a little more vocal. But he's just, you know, he just kind of lets the chips fall as they may. And I think that – I think that that's definitely benefited the Sharks uh, over the last year and a half for sure. And I think, you know – they're they're playing right now. They're playing as good of hockey as I can remember them playing under Pete DeBoer. They're just they're just not scoring at even strength for whatever reason. You know, we, we saw it change the other night against Nashville. But I think, you know, if when they do start scoring goals at even strength, and and I think you know, as big a reason for this turnaround too over the last three games is that Martin Jones has been very good the last three games. He was really strong on this homestand. Uh, you know, he he didn't allow any you know weak goals like you know i thought he may have on the road trip and i think you know he's not facing a ton of shots and i'm sure he I'm sure that's a little it's a little difficult for him he'll, he'll never say that though and he you know he you asked him i asked him after the game when they played against columbus i'm like well what's you know what's been different for you and he said he's like you know the difference between winning and losing in this league is like very thin so honestly not much has really changed and i thought you know, that's pretty, pretty fitting from a guy who's so steady and even keeled. Um, and I think he's a, and I think you've seen that from him, you know, when he's, cause he's needed to make some saves for them the last couple of games, but you know, every odd man rush that I can remember for the ducks, the predators and the blue jackets pretty much just ended up in nothing. Cause he just swallowed the puck and they got a defensive zone face off and that's all I, they need from him. Right. And I also think it's fair to say that uh, while the sharks have definitely made, you know, cause they do will make defensive mistakes. I think this year they've been, uh, much better at back checking than they were last year. Yeah. I, that's definitely something that I would like to take a kind of a deeper look into at some point. I mean, last year, you know, it seemed like um, scenario, typical one. Brent Burns makes a stupid play, right? Because he's great, but he is prone yeah. to make one of those every five of games. Just like and you're going to take that. You're going to take that yep. with him. Yep, uh, absolutely. I'm not doing this to, to, to bag on Burns. I'm just saying that he would do that. And then it would be kind of like, well, now the guy's one-on-one and here comes Burns back and he takes a penalty or, you know, whatever. And now it kind of seems like, um, I, I think this is probably Paul Martin adjusting in better understanding the way, the, the gambles that Burns takes. And I think yes. that they're paying off more this year because they're working better together. And I think we even saw that in the playoffs last year. Like, it's really seemed like yeah. at the beginning of the year, there was some concern over Burns. Because, you know, Sharks fans complain about their best players because that's what we do. Every fan base does, for sure. Whatever. It's just Sharks fans. They are <laughs> the worst. Oh, I just hate them. And uh, I think as, as we got closer to the playoffs, we saw less, fewer and fewer of those. And then people stopped talking about it. And it's like, right, because I think that the, that kind of chemistry between the two guys has really uh, improved a lot, and which is great news. And I think that goes, you know, really lends to why the Sharks – 
defense has been so good. I mean, I can't remember. There's probably never been a time. This is probably the best defense group that the Sharks have ever had in franchise history. Oh, and I, I agree. And I By think, a lot. I, I mean, you're the David Schlebko siding, and, you know, we, we touched on it. It feels like every podcast we've talked, you know, we really can't, though, say enough how good he's been. I mean, he's, he's one of the best possession players at even strength, and, you know, he's he's turned Brendan Dillon, I think, into a really good defenseman, too. I don't think it's because – Schlemko is carrying him, and I think you know I'd like to see them sustain it over a full season. But their games really mesh together. You know, Dylan's content to get rid of the puck quick, quickly or get it to uh, get it to Schlemko. And you know, Dylan scored the other night against Columbus and was a little unlucky to have that goal disallowed. I think you know that's such an iffy call, and you know whether or not it's in spirit of the rule, we could have an hours long discussion about. But the, the fact of the matter is, they they generated that zone time and they. They scored that goal, and you know Dylan scored in it. But I think that turnaround has been as key as anything for the Sharks because you know lately, um, you know, and I, I haven't looked at their summation numbers, but against uh, Nashville and against Anaheim, Vlasic and Braun weren't amazing in the. We're not good. They were bad. The puck possession department, and you know, I I can't I can't say you know in watch, remembering watching the games, I can't say that necessarily fits with the eye test. I think. I, I don't agree know with that. Their, I don't know what their quality of competition is, and I, I still think that, you know, if, if their possession numbers, if they're low, you know, they're still probably doing their job. Like Vlasic for years until recently wasn't a relative positive player possession-wise, but that's because he was playing such tough minutes. I'm not sure if that's still the case. I haven't looked at his quality of competition and stuff, but I'd imagine he's still playing really tough minutes. And, you know, if you can afford to have those guys maybe not be as strong if your third line is doing – your third defense pairing, excuse me, is doing what David Schlumko and Brendan Dillon are doing together. And I, I think, you know, a, a full season of that and a full postseason of that is going to make a huge difference uh, for the Sharks going forward. I'm, I'm curious, though, Jake, what do you think about uh, Mikel Bodker's start? You know, because he hasn't had the same maybe flashy kind of start that Schlemko has possession-wise. But, you know, I, the puck hasn't gotten in for him, but I think he's played well to start this season in San Jose. I, I don't know. What do you think about his start? Yeah, I think he's been fine. I think he's done what he needed to do. Uh, I don't think that this was the, he was a guy that was going to make a huge visual impact on the team, to be honest, because he's going to be playing with guys that are a lot more talented and a lot flashier than him. I think if they were asking him to play on the fourth line, we would be maybe paying a little more attention to what exactly he's doing and how he's improving that game. But the fact that he's played both on the Couture line, which, you know, he's the third best player on that line. And now he's played some games on the top line obviously the third best player on that line. Um, I think that what he has provided is a really good fit for both of those groups. Um, you know, I, I really do think he's a great fit on the Thornton line because he provides that, like we've talked about, that speed game. He, he will go below the goal line. He'll chase down pucks and uh, kind of be a, a nuisance for the other team, which gives Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski space to work, which is, again, that is, that is the goal of that winger on that line. Um, and even when he was with Couture, I think that he he fits great into Couture's style of game. And so does Domscoy, for that matter. And, and Ward, the, the wingers that really like to just score, which lets Couture kind of, you know, quarterback the quarterback the line. And I think that's really where he's the most comfortable is when he can kind of carry the puck into the zone, look to his wingers, kind of see what's up, and, and kind of try to lead the other four guys on the ice into a situation that can benefit, you know, lead to positive shot numbers. 
So I've liked, I've liked what he's done. I, he's a guy that I know coming in doesn't have great possession numbers. And I even think of San Jose. He is not, he's probably more of a drag on possession than he is a, a boost on any of these lines because, again, he's the worst player on the lines. Um, but I think that his style of game fits really, really well with the guys that he's playing with. And I think that's a big thing that sometimes we kind of overlook because it really is hard to uh, evaluate with, with numbers. You know, well, oh, who fits well with X player? And I think this is the Brendan Dillon, David Schlemko thing as well. You know, obviously, um, Brendan Dillon was playing a very bad player in Roman Polak. But beyond him not being good, they just weren't a good they were not a good fit. Those are two styles that do not play well together. Brendan Dillon wants to be the guy that leads the zone exit. And what I mean by that is he has the puck in the defensive zone, throws it up to his defense partner. The defense partner then carries it to the, to the wingers, yeah. and, and that's how the movement works. Yes. If Brendan Dillon isn't, cannot, he's not the guy that can carry the puck out of the defensive yeah. zone. That's not his game. It's just not. And asking him to do that is unfair. Um, and I think that's part of the reason he got so much criticism last year is because he was being asked to do a job he's just not yeah. really equipped to do. And now the whole team, and what I love about this team, and what I love about the kind of evolution it feels like as, of Pete DeBoer as the head coach of the team is that he's really done a great job at putting guys in situations where they can really succeed. I think his, his ability to take the temperature of the team right now is just so, so much better than it was when he took over a year ago. And I think that's really what has me more excited about this team than, you know, even just their play on the ice in general. I just really think that that bodes well for them moving forward. And I think, you know, I was, that was something I was, I was worried about. We talked to, you know, in, in conversations, you know, the thing I, I wanted to explore but didn't get a chance to was in his first two stops in the NHL, in his second season, his teams got worse. Yes, they both stops. He lost significant players. It's hard to replace a Zach Parise in New Jersey a season after you go to the Stanley Cup final. And it's even harder to replace Jay Bomeister in Florida. You know, yeah. he was he was in Florida at right, that, yeah. right in that time when they were a mediocre at best team, not a lot of high draft picks coming in. Um, you know, you'd love to see him maybe coach now, obviously you want to with the Sharks. I'm sure he'd love to be able to coach Florida now with the talent they have as right. opposed to what he coached then. But you know, I think the like you said, the familiarity with this group has has really helped him, and I, I think he he has a very strong read of the room, and I, I it's well said about putting players in positions where they're going to succeed. And there's a player I remember against Anaheim. Anaheim, you know, it seemed like they're going to break out the puck. Sammy Votnin has it. He's an incredible defenseman. Bodger comes in, ties him up, and then the Sharks create like two scoring chances on that play with the Thornton and Pavelski line. That's because, like you said, Bodger's a nuisance, and I think. You know, this is a, a signing I was a little bit hesitant on because I, I looked a lot at the Bodker's possession numbers and I saw a player who struggled in that department, but he was on two bad teams. And, you know, so far I think he's been as good as advertised. They'd probably like to see him score a little more, but I, I, I agree with you. I think he's been a very good fit on both of those lines. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about this in previous podcast too. I think the Another big development for the Sharks is that, you know, Couture, the scoring has maybe dried up a little bit, but he he looks just as good as he did in the postseason. And I think he, him, you know, kind of taking that next step and being at that level is really going to help them because, you know, Thornton's scoring numbers are down a little bit to start the season. And I, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. I think it's just more of a, you know, the team's kind of struggling to score at even strength. But, um, they're, they're a team, you know, it's, it's hard not to, to get ahead of yourself because it's so early in the season. You got to, you know, really restrain what's going on. But, you know, if, if all things hold and they can score more at even strength, you know, this, it, 
this looks like a team that could once again do serious damage in the postseason. And considering where they were two years ago, I think that's I, – I really can't believe that I'm saying that. Yeah, I think that uh, two years ago it kind of felt like the – like it was, you know – all right, it was over. Like that was that was the that was yeah. the end. Um, and not because of the the team, you know, the guys on the team, just because it felt like the franchise was was saying that uh, yeah. was hitting the reset button. And they were. That is what they did. And they just didn't do a. They did such a poor job of tanking that then they were like, oh, I guess we're just going to try to contend again <laughs> this year. So I guess we're gonna. Well, I guess we're doing this. Let's do this. Well, let's do this. And so then, and here we are. It's such a strange year too to look back on. I think that that um that reset year, so to speak, because you know they did they did restock the cupboard in the draft. They did sign a lot more free agents, but you know I I, I still wonder too. Did they need to? You know maybe they wouldn't they wouldn't have gotten Timo Meyer, but I, I you know I agree with you. You're shaking your head. Yeah. I don't think they needed to take that step back. I think there were they, there were available what, players. Number, what like nine pick like. Yeah, big freaking deal. There were available players in free agency that could have helped them. Not you know, and they still could have signed Joel Ward and Paul Martin in 2015, going into 2015-16. Um, you know, and it, but you know, I, I it, it stunk that year, and I still question whether or not they needed to do it. But if if that was the wake up call for management, you know, and for them to say, look, you know, we we got to go for it, you know, then. It's uh, sitting where they are right now and coming off a Stanley Cup final appearance and seeing how they've been active in free agency each of the last two years. I mean, they, you know, they, Elliot Friedman, who's their guy you trust as much as anybody, reported that they were in on Steven Stamkos. Like, when in their franchise history could you have ever expected them to be in on the best free agent available? So it, it, it's a it's a good spot if you're a Sharks fan right now, for sure. Yep, absolutely. I think part of that is obviously responding to the fact that, uh, you know, people stop showing up to games. Uh, yeah. Because that's the way it works when you charge, you know, fifty dollars for uh, upper bowl seats. That yeah. people aren't going to go if uh, if the team sucks. And it's even beyond. Uh, I mean, you see, the fans came every year, sold out the building when when yeah. the the players fell short, right? And I, right. I use that kind of facetiously. Of but uh, when they when when you get the, there's, there's a huge difference as a sports fan between the idea that okay, a team is doing its best and loses and the management's not really committed to winning. And when you kind of get that sense, that's what sucks the life out of yeah, the building and the I, fan base. I think the fan base, you know, and maybe it's, I, I'd love to kind of examine it and love to see this examined because I think, you know, that, that Ducks game, there was the Warriors home opener, so the attendance wasn't as great. Still an announced sellout, but, you know, the Columbus game, it was raining, but it, it wasn't an announced sellout it, it, right before the game. And I, I know, understand that there was rain before that delayed people getting in. But right before the game, it looked like a preseason game. And I, I think there's still, even with the cup run, I still think that the – I don't think that that step back, you know, and this is me speaking hypothetically. I haven't talked to fans. I haven't you – know, I'm, I'm couching this journalistically as much as possible to say this is just an opinion. But I, I think the fans – haven't fully had the trust regained by management, even with the the recent steps the Sharks have taken. I don't think they fully trust that. Okay, they're back and they're going to do whatever it takes to win. Because I, I think that I think that year burned Sharks fans, specifically to, to season ticket holders, like more than we like more than we like maybe realized and more than we recognized. Because you know they sold out every game was an announced sellout, and you know the last two years that hasn't been the case. And I I could not have imagined that being saying that that was the case. And maybe it wasn't just last year. Maybe it was also the collapse against LA blowing that three, nothing lead. That could have been, 
that could have been it. But I think, you know, you put those hand in hand together and I think you, that's, you know, explains the attendance drop off for sure. I think you also have to look at the fact that there was a, a lockout the season before that too, yeah. which doesn't help matters any. Yeah. Uh, listen, the NHL has done a very, very, very good job of taking a, a very good product and just <laughs> doing the worst possible job it can at selling it. Um, I know. agree. I agree. And the, the, I, I think you're right, though. I mean, this is what I was saying last year when people were like, oh, man, I don't get it. Why aren't the Sharks selling out games? It's like, really? You don't get it? Because yeah. they alienated their fan base, the people yeah. that have given them thousands and thousands of dollars over the years. And people yeah. aren't just going to come give you money for no yeah. reason. They're not going to do it. They can I stay think- at home and watch the game on, on Comcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, you and know, that, I mean, that's how it goes. And, and even beyond the fact that the team – purposely made itself worse because that's what they did um it's that or doug wilson is an idiot right so it's one of those two things they either made themselves worse or and i don't think the latter is is i also I don't, don't think there's any chance that that's correct the truth. It, it's the first thing it is the first thing in my opinion um and beyond that then right in the middle of it all their idiot owner talks about wanting to move the team because he's unhappy with the tv deal right yeah i'm sorry that that's how this works yeah it, uh, yeah, fans I, yeah. operate on a sense of loyalty to their team. And if that loyalty is not returned, then guess yeah. what? Fans say, hey, fuck you. The Warriors yeah. just won 73 games. Exactly. Yeah. And I, oh, I, shit. I, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a factor I hadn't even considered because, you know, there were, the, there were the floated rumors that, you know, that they weren't happy with the TV mm-hmm. deal. And I the remember Warriors want to build that brand new arena right on the waterfront in San Francisco. Yeah. I bet Hasso Plotner would love that. Yeah, and I think you know, I think, I you know, there. And someone tweeted at our account. I hadn't seen it reported anywhere, but apparent this was a tweet I saw. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it reported anywhere else, but there's rumblings that they're looking to opt out of their lease with the arena. I haven't heard that anywhere, so I'm not sure uh, where that. I'm just irresponsibly repeating what was told to me on Twitter, which I shouldn't. I shouldn't have done. Um, but yeah, no, I think you know. But I think. I think they're a little scarred, but I think if, if management keeps doing what they're doing now, I think, you know, people are going to flock back. So they've got, they've got a really good team at, at the they very do. least for this year and whether or not they do beyond ne- this year, I think they're the management group and the ownership group is committed to keeping the team, you know, very, very good. So it's, it's a, you know, it's not, it's not doom and gloom. It is a good, good spot to be in and considering where they were, cause you know, 2014, 15, that was, I think, as low of a year for Sharks fans as there's been in recent memory. Um, and, you know, you mentioned NHL, you know, not doing a great job. Like, when was the last time you saw P.K. Subban on a television advertisement for their league? Like, I have, I, he's playing in Nashville. There's no excuse. He's still not being marketed. I just, I don't, I don't understand. Now, this is going to blow your mind. The NHL might have a little bit of a risk yeah, problem. Yes, I agree. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? No, it's true. And I, yeah. yeah, guy like him though can help alleviate that very quickly. And you know, they just—I think they're just so they're you know they. And I think Subban even said he's like the league. We don't market our our stars well enough. It's all about they market the teams well, but it's not about you know the stars. And I think you see that in television ratings. And when you're when you're a network and you're catering, and you want to get ratings, and you you realize the sport is regional, and you. You want those strong regional ratings. That's why the Buffalo Sabres are on NBC Sports Network so much. Like it doesn't make sense from a, a hockey perspective, but from a you know a marketing perspective in a sport that's notoriously regional, 
It does. I still think, though, you can grow the game by getting fans used to seeing players like Subban, players like Austin Matthews. I mean, they, they flexed the Toronto game, the NBC Sports Network, for crying out loud, after Matthews scored four goals. I think, I think part of them gets it, but it's just, for whatever reason, it, it hasn't added up. I think part of the, the it's, a, it's two things. One, the NHL has been hyper-regional. I've been very proud of that fact. The problem with that is that, which is also true in baseball, right? Yes. The problem is, is that baseball has also been successful in hyper-regional. The NHL yeah. has never been successful. It has always been hyper-regional. Yeah. Yeah. The second problem is, is that at some point, the NHL decided it wanted to be uh, the anti-NBA. Um, yeah. Which, as a business perspective, is about as fucking stupid as you could possibly be <laughs> because spoiler alert the it's nba not, yeah it's not, it's not the niche i would choose but it is a niche i'll say that yes and again this goes back to the nba or the nhl having spoiler alert a pretty serious race problem yeah. and, and and even beyond that they have a a player relation problem which is why yeah. the nhl has had so many lockouts whereas yeah. baseball hasn't had one since you know we were in diapers yeah. And the NBA uh, had that scare, obviously. It had, it had, it had a problem with it, but as, by and large, it doesn't have the reputation that the NHL yeah. has. The difference between the two lockouts or work stoppages is that it, the NHL has happened because the owners hate the players, whereas the NBA's have because the players said, screw you to the owners. Yeah. It's a difference, yeah. and people yeah. get that. And I think because yeah. we're coming into an age where people, especially people our age, are siding with the players over the teams. Yeah there's a kind of a disconnect between us and management and not just management and teams, but management in, you know, the, the corporate offices, management yeah, and in, marketing, in the network yeah. levels. Um, yeah. Part of and, and, and it's gotta be said, part of the problem is, is that the NHL sold it, sold to NBC who also doesn't know what the hell it's yeah. doing. And I, as much, as much as strong as their coverage can be at times, for, I think they do a good soccer. job on a, on a game by game level, but you know, you're seeing like, I'm sure they kicked themselves. I mean, they got a good, they got a pretty good TV deal from NBC, but I'm sure they are kicking themselves seeing the television money that some of these other leagues got because they, NBC un, underpaid them for that asset for sure for TV Absolutely. rights. And I, you know, I, it's a it's a ways down the line, but I think that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna have an effect on when they're looking for their next TV partner because I think that that could, you know, we could again highly speculative play the speculative lack of journalism music, but I think that, um, you know, maybe they go back to an ESPN because they, they feel that they were disrespected by an NBC. I think that's part of the reason the World Cup ended up at ESPN. ESPN was able to pay for it, but I think, too, they figured, okay, you know, you, we've, we got kind of lowballed by NBC, which is the first reason, part of the reason we have to do the World Cup to begin with. So, mm, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting for sure. I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that part of the thing is too is that the and I and it's hard to separate how much of this is the NHL and how much of this is NBC. Yeah. If you and I know you are also, if you watch a lot of soccer like I do, you see how oh. freaking amazing NBC Sports yeah. Premier League oh, coverage and I, is. I think they have great it's production like, people on both oh, yeah. sides. On Good, true, you're right. You're right. Yeah. NHL, I think their production guys do a great job. But I, I mean, it's it is a diff. Like, I think it, it'll There's depend no on the night. Below. Uh, NBC yeah, I, hockey, you know, there, she doesn't exist. The, right. There's no Arlo White either, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I a big Doc, Doc fan, but uh, oh, yeah. I, we, see, that's where we get he's, 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 he's terrible. He is terrible. I'm sure he's a I very nice him. man, but uh, yeah, I'm not, not, a, not a huge fan. But I, it, it is, it is, I think there's a, there's a, you know, a, a difference for sure. I think 
I, I don't want to say that I feel like I don't feel like NBC's NHL coverage, like because I know you know soccer coverage in the past, not on NBC but on other networks, Fox. Um, they talk down to their viewers and they treat them like they don't know the sport. I don't get that sense when I'm which watching is them. ironic, by the way, because Eric Winalda gets paid to talk about soccer. On that <laughs> yeah, network, exactly. So. And, but I, I don't think that I don't get the sense that NBC does that with their NHL coverage. But you know, it is interesting because their their Premier League coverage is so top of the line. Yet, you know, I think a lot of people have. I don't think the NHL coverage is universally as loved. Um, well, although part I, of the I, problem I, is that you look at their studio crew and it's Mike Milbury and Jeremy Roenick. You know, and it's right. not that those guys, those guys are certainly not talking down to anybody. Right. It's just that they are kind of. It's just they're they're out of touch with the market. Not that the NHL has, but with the market the NHL wants. Right, they're Agreed. they're speaking to well, their well, audience. They're just not speaking to the audience they actually want to have. You know, it's like the well, dress well, for the job you want thing, and it, NBC yeah. is not doing that. No, that's that's a fair point. I think, you know, I I, I do kind. Of, I think Milbury's grown on me lately. I think he's he's dialed it back. And I, but I, you know, you look at ESPN's World Cup coverage, and Brett Hall was basically a better version of Mike Milbury, a guy who's just going to come in, give his like insanely hot take, and like be kind of funny about it. Hole was a better version of that than Mike Milbury. I do like Keith Jones, but um, I like Keith Jones too. I feel like Keith Jones is kind of underrated because uh, he gets dragged down by his yeah, line. Yeah, Milbury or Rodick all the time. I, I think know. Yeah, you get, to yeah. See him, you get to see him shine, but I think he's the Matt Nieto of of the NBA. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a good, that's a good segue if you want to go into the. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's talk Matt Nieto and uh, Michael Haley. Let's do it. We could do uh, it. We just wrote about it today. Okay, so uh, Michael Haley played in all three. All three games? All three games of the homestand. Yes, stand. all three games of the homestand. They won all three. Uh, hey, uh, let me let me bounce something off you, Marcus. Have the Sharks lost this season with Michael Haley in the lineup? They're 4-0. They beat hmm. the Islanders, and they hmm. won every game at home. I mean, correlation causation. Of course. I would wave Matt Nieto tomorrow. <laughs> Send him right back to Long Beach. All right, I don't need him anymore. Him and Everson need him. Yeah, exactly. They can room together. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I think Michael Haley has played better than I thought he would. Uh, which oh, I, I agree. Agree. I give him credit. He's he's been, and you know this is the the benefit of having Michael Haley. He's not Mike Brown. He he's is not John Scott. Correct. He is, a, he is a you know he's been pretty good, and I think he know, does think actually try to play hockey. I think we should give him credit for actually like making an attempt to agree. do his job, and I, I I totally respect him as a. A person. This to me is never about actually about Michael Haley. I know sometimes when we complain about player usage, oh. it feels like it's this personal thing. I have nothing against Michael Haley. I mean, the dude's out there trying to, you know, do a job for his family and good for him. But who wouldn't want to be in his position? Of, you Correct. Know, you've grinded for so long. You've done everything your coaches have asked for you. And now he you has earned a chance a, in the yeah, NHL. Absolutely. It's a great story. Yep. But, you know, he's just yep. not as good of a player as Nieto. But, you know, it, if this is the bottom of the lineup decision that the Sharks have to make with Nieto and Haley, they are in like I saw someone posted in the comments today. The first Sharks game they ever went to, the bottom six was like Andrew Desjardins, Mike Brown, Freddie yeah. Hamilton, like just names that it's like, oh my god, like how far? Like this is this is the problem we have now. It was so much worse previously, but you know I I agree with what you wrote today. I think. I think Nieto is a better player and has been proven to be a better player. Um, you know, I we've we've talked about it off the air, but I think there is value in guys, even when they're not scoring, like a Tyler Kennedy. I mean, he's he's a guy I loved the acquisition when they got him. I thought he was a good player in San Jose. I think 
you know, I, I didn't have the same necessarily expectations and maybe I slid my expectations. I wasn't expecting him to jump on a line with the Joes and score, you know, 20 to 30 goals. And, but I it was expecting, you know, he's a guy that'll slide up and down in the lineup depending on where you need him. And, you know, I, I do not think he's in, he's not in the NHL right now. Is he, is he no, playing he's in Europe, right? Yeah. Or he's not playing at all. I don't know if he's playing at all. I, oh. I know he's been live tweeting a lot of Penguins games. Okay, well that that it's that not a good sign good. for his playing career. No, oh, God, he's only thirty. I mean, he, you know, you want to talk about a guy who's been. You could sign him right now, and he would be great on the Sharks' fourth line. Absolutely, like yeah, no question. I, I mean, it, I would take him in a heartbeat. Yeah, I I think I would too. I think you know he's a he's a guy that I always liked. I I still think that was a good trade for San Jose when they. Got it was. Him. Um, yes, it was. Absolutely. I mean, I have no no doubt in my mind about that. 16 points in 50 games last year. Like, that's not like... It's not. And he had good possession numbers. I think that's it. He's an example of a, a trend you're seeing now. And, you know, you see Lindholm sign. With the elimination of the bridge contract, you know, guys like him, just these not necessarily marginal players, but middle of the lineup guys. Like, teams are just looking for cheaper, younger alternatives. That's not to say that they couldn't get met Tyler Kennedy for $550,000 a year or whatever the league, with the league minimum is, but you know, guys like him, cause he was what, he was on a $3 million a year deal when he came to San Jose. Yeah, Something, something like that. that. Like they're just, those kind of guys are getting frozen out by the, 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 the changes of, uh, of what's happened in the NHL with the elimination of the bridge contract. But, um, you know, I, I agree with what you wrote. I still, I think, you know, ultimately, it's a marginal decision at the bottom of the roster. But if you want to fully optimize your roster, you play Matt Nieto over Michael Haley. But I think you know Haley's come in and Haley's done his job, and I, I he hasn't been used a ton by DeBoer. I think you know I looked on Corsica today and did some you know some math, and I think Nieto played about nine minutes, just under ten minutes at even strength per game. I think Haley's playing like six under- right under eight at even strength yeah. per game. I think it's like 31 in might be 31. Yeah. 31 and four. Uh, this, this might not have all of the, the full, no, they played nine games. That, that's right. So, you know, he's not, he's not playing a ton, which, which isn't great, but I, that's more of the concern for me is that it's like, okay, so someone else is soaking up those other minutes more right. so than anything else. And that's with an older team. It's, it's not a huge deal, but it's right. It's it not be. great. It's not it, ideal. It could be. And I think, you know, where you're probably seeing sure. guys asked to play more is, you know, because I think the last couple of games he's played, but they also, they dominated the game against Columbus and the, it, the game was never really in doubt. The game against. I mean, that's a game where you want to see a Michael Haley get, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Exactly. Because, I mean, you know. But not? against Anaheim, he played, played less than five minutes. Right. That's, you know. And to me, that's kind of like a then why? Why yeah, exactly? That's... And I think you know, I think part of that too is is probably you know, Jared, recall, that, oh. that game was a pretty high. There was a there were a lot of power plays and penalty kills like, combined in that game. Um, I'm not sure. And it was also normal. coming off of a losing, coming on a losing streak, I was not shocked to see him drawn to the lineup. Of course, yeah, because DeBoer is a you know he's he's not going to change what he wins, but if there's a loss, he'll he'll tweak with some stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think part of it, too, part of the reason is, you know, he, he doesn't play in those extra situations. He doesn't play shorthanded. He doesn't play on the pe- pe- power play. Not that Matt Nieto played on the power play, but, you know, I, I'd have to look at his usage this year. In the past, he's been a pretty reliable contributor on the penalty kill. He's played a good – Yeah, Nieto is a, is a good penalty kill uh, forward for sure. I think That's a guy I would like to about that. And I, I think 
But, you know, it, when you have a glut of – I mean, they have so many guys that can play on the penalty kill. Literally everyone on the roster, except for Mikel Bodker right now, can play on the penalty kill. I wouldn't yeah. put Mikel Bodker out there. And he's but he and Bodker's played penalty kill minutes for uh, – he's played, but he yeah, has well, played there for DeBoer. And look at the Sharks' uh, shots against on the penalty kill this year. And, yeah, okay, we'll have a discussion about <laughs> yeah. that because it's not been yeah. good. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I agree. There's a lot of guys that – so it's not a – it's a – it's a, it's not, I don't want to say it's a luxury, but it's not a super pressing concern with him. I just, I think long term it is, but I think, you know, you know, ultimately Michael Haley's spot is, is probably going to be taken by one of these young players. Yeah. Right. And, so, right. Exactly. Which is why, uh, you know, right. It's, it's not, it's not, it, to me, this move is less about Michael Haley and to me it's more about Matt Nieta, who I think is a good player who's undervalued. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, and, get indication about where they think Matt Nieto's game is right now and how they think he's played uh, to start the season. Uh, I think, you know, less it's, it's less of an indictment, you know, that Dylan DeMello hasn't played yet because it's more like, okay, well he can't get sent down, but we like him, but our, our top six is just so good right now. Correct. The depth whereas, there is much more so than in the forwards for sure. Whereas they haven't, you know, they struggled a bit and they haven't loved what they got from the bottom six. I, it didn't help that, you know, Nieto made a turnover that led to a goal against Detroit. That that never helps a player who's at the bottom of the roster like that. So, but I think you know, you know, ultimately, it's hit that Michael Haley spot is ideally for the Sharks going to get taken by Nikolai Goldobin, Kevin LeBanc, or Timo Meyer by the end of the season, and that brings me to talking about the Barracuda this past weekend. How do you like that? Let's do it. Segue, yeah, that's a good segue. That's good. That's that journalism school experience. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Go orange. <laughs> That's that's a different podcast. We could talk. We could talk Syracuse Orange sports. Oh, God, to no, my heart content don't. on another on another. Just podcast. kill me. Oh God, <laughs> not college sports. We're not as we're not as bad oh. as, as Northwestern people. I'll say that. Wow. Okay. Jesus Christ. Speaking of low bar. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're gonna talk about the Barracuda. <laughs> I hate Northwestern more than almost more than Stanford. Uh, all right. We're gonna we're we're moving on. We're moving on. Uh, I don't want to get hate mail. Uh, the Barracuda uh, got three out of four points this weekend against yes. the uh, the old Bakersfield Condor, and uh, uh, they're scoring goals and they're fun and they're it's just it's it's wonderful. They lost the game because of uh, uh, the model goalie being uh, terrible. Mantis Armalis is not good. Did, I'm gonna, did I'm he have a bad up. game against? Um, I thought I he stopped he, like thirty five or thirty nine. So they're like, how much did he? How many? Saves that you have. Okay, well, stopping 35 out of 39 would be terrible, first yeah, of all. not that's great. under 900, so that's yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, I think he had a game. Uh, I thought it was worse than that. I thought it was a 7, not an 8. His first game uh, he did. He stopped. They won 5-4 to four against okay. the rain, and he stopped 11-15. to 15. I think this past weekend he was. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That is so bad, dude. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Whew. But that's, you know, he's making it a, in the model's defense as a goaltender moving from a 200 by 100 to 200 by 85 rake is that is a big, big change in terms of reading angles, not to mention living in a different country, living in i I'm sure living in San Jose, California is much different than living in Sweden. There's so many um, Trader Joe's though. And there's more than one H and M in San Jose. Yes. Exactly. What's the big deal? Uh, in 130 minutes, uh, Mantis Armalis has an 877. In 115, Troy Grosnick has a 948. The most surprising wow. thing to me here is that Troy Grosnick has fewer minutes than Mantis Armalis. I think yeah, that's because Grosnick got 
hurt and they put in Armalis for a that might be of a game. I was that listening to one be. on the radio, a road game in, I think it was against uh, Stockton. Okay. Um, that's the heat. Uh, so that might, might have something to do with it. Also worth noting that in fewer minutes, Grosnick has made five more saves. So Yeah. He's faced... He's faced more pucks, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, they're so, fun. They're, they're, they're good. fun. They are just so much fun, man. It's like, man, if I – yeah. Th- honestly, I wonder if this is sucking away a shark season ticket holders because you can go see a really fun team for, like, half as much money. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're – I'm going to really try to catch a, a couple of games from them coming up here because there's there's a lot of promise there. Um, you know, Pete DeBoer was telling reporters when he was at the, the Barracuda game that Sommer said that this is as good of a team as he's ever coached. And I think and, that's – we talked about this before the show, and I think that has yeah. to be true. Just oh, this has to be the best team he's ever had. They're they're just so loaded, and I, I think they're loaded to the point where if they lost a player like Meyer or LeBanc or Goldobin, still they're still going to be a really good team in the AHL even yep. if they lose one of those players. But, you know, I think the, the story has to be through their four games. And, you know, I, I unfortunately haven't had a chance to watch them, but – just looking at the numbers and reading some reports, um, you know, Goldobin and LeBanc seem to have responded well to getting sent down. They seem to be, you know, when I think we, we were probably a little more worried about Goldobin than LeBanc. I mean, he's Definitely. obviously not going to play at a two point per game pace the whole year, but it, it seems like he, he took getting sent down as an opportunity to show why he shouldn't be back there again. And I think the same is true for Kevin LeBanc, who, out of nowhere to be one of the last cuts uh, on the Sharks roster. So I, I think that that's just super encouraging to see who have played uh, in their first four games. I think, and I'm pretty sure they're on the same line. I think Rourke Chartier is centering their line. So I think yeah. they've, they've actually spent a lot of time together and they've played. It's, 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 you know, I, I, we talked about how, how different of a position it was from two years ago. The, the farm system wasn't even in the same boat two seasons ago and you didn't have the same excitement about these young players, but you know, it, it really does feel like they have, you know, probably three, anywhere from three to five forwards that are capable of playing for the sharks. I'd say Goudreau and, and Ryan Carpenter, you could add to that mix as well. I'd be yeah. more than comfortable seeing those guys play. And then on defense, you know, if Mirko Mueller can keep establishing himself and, you know Tim Heed, who was a defenseman of the year in Sweden. If he can do you know, anything promising, there's they've got a lot of there's a lot of intriguing pieces there, and it, it's great to see them starting off so well, especially down in the last cuts like LeBanc and Goldobin, because you know if, if they keep playing like this, they will not be with the Barracuda for very long. Yeah, I mean it's definitely something we'll talk about uh, later into the season, but next year when uh, you know it would not shock me to see those guys at least getting a chance just to go on a line together in a like a fourth fourth line role for the Sharks. Oh man, and, and that would you be know, especially a guy if a guy like Marlowe walks, and then you have you know Nieto's a I don't think he's unrestricted, but he's restricted. Wingles is gone. Wingles is gone. Yeah, contract next year. Uh, I'm not sure if Melker Carlson is. I'd have to. Look that up. Michael Haley's on a one-year deal, so there, you know there's going to be spots to be hypothetically won next year. The Wingles and Haley spots, in particular, for me, are ones that are up for grabs. Because if you could have a fourth line, uh, even today, if you could have yeah. one with Goldobin, LeBanc, and Tierney as your fourth line, um, um, I mean that's like that's that's amazing. You know, and I, I know he, yeah. he, he LeBanc and Goldobin can show that they've 
you know, in DeBoer's eyes, if they can be, if they can be solid enough. Cause you know, I think, you know, he wants his lines to have an identity and I, I think he, he does subscribe to the, you know, the need for grit, but I, you know, he's, he's rolled four scoring lines before he's spread the wealth and he's rolled four really good lines. And he, do, he doesn't strike me as a coach. who would be unwilling to do that if he sees LeBanc and Goldobin as, you know, good enough defensively to right. do that. Will he see them as good enough? Who knows? It's potentially a year away, but you know, this is a, I mean, th- I think this is super encouraging. I, I thought at least one of those three Meyer Goldobin and LeBanc would be up with the team by the postseason, But, you know, I, I think it's possible that, you know, I don't know if all of them will be, but two or three of those guys could play their way into San Jose's NHL roster by the end of the season. Yeah, I think uh, all of them, well, two at least two of them will get a few games at some point um, because someone's yeah. going to get injured at some point. So yeah. whether or not that becomes a permanent fixture remains to be seen, of course. Who do you think uh, they when- take on the road trip if they do take 23? Because DeBoer said it's a possibility. They have to talk about it. But if they do take, if they do decide to carry uh, uh 20 was it 23 were they going to carry 15 and seven yeah they carry 15 and 22 excuse me they carry 22 forwards who do you think they're going to they call probably probably Goodrow. probably yeah. Goodrow. yeah he's got experience and blah 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 whatever blah 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 um and i i don't hate that idea this early in the season either because yeah. i i really like that the fact that LeBanc and Goldobin are playing together and Me are too. developing something yeah I think for their development, especially because they're not going to play every game if they go on the road trip anyway. So like, yeah. I'd rather see them play with a Barracuda than sit in a press box on a road trip. I agree. And I, I you know, I think I'd like to see, you know, he's, I think he only has one goal in, in three games, maybe one goal in four. I'm not sure how he started, but you know, he was a guy who was there till the end. I, they're not satisfied with if Nat Nieto. I'd like to see Barkley Goudreau maybe get a look on that fourth line and see yeah. how different he is. From they when they were when they started last season, I I think he's a guy who could, you know, he was probably pretty much replaced the signing of Danius Zubris last year pretty much replaced him and ensured that he wasn't going to have a spot going forward. But you know, clearly with you know how Haley's replaced Nieto, there's some amount of flexibility on that fourth line, and I you know, I think Chris Tierney, Barkley Gaudreau, and Tommy Wingles. That's in today's NHL. That's you know. If you want a fourth line that's physical but is gonna, you know, chip in offensively, that's that's about all you can ask for. So I I, I think Goudreau's is a pretty spot on uh, a pretty spot on pick there. I th- I think it's gonna be him or Carpenter. I would agree. I think they're they're yeah. they they want to let LeBanc, Goldobin, and especially Timo Meyer. They want those guys to play as much as possible. I hope if they do take Carpenter, they actually let the poor guy play this time. I felt Agreed. bad for him on that last road trip. That was brutal. Yeah, just tough. I really don't understand that at all, and I whatever. I mean, not worth spending a lot of time on, obviously. Of but course. that, yeah. If uh, if he did, him, they're not practicing, they didn't practice at all on that road trip, so he's just right. getting morning skates in, pretty much. Like you know, that's well, obviously he does great. Probably much better breakfast. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's got to be true, and you know, it it would be fun even if you're not playing as i'm sure that hey man if someone wants to pay me an nhl minimum salary to hang out on a plane with joe thornton for a week i'm there tomorrow i'm ready i've got i'm i've been doing some stretches and i'm I'm ready to go let's (laughs) do it i saw the uh, the sharks tweeted out or they posted on facebook there was a great couple's costume that someone had someone was joe thornton with the shirt off and the beard and the other person was brent burns from the day oh they walked God. through the city oh wow well yeah well okay was, well, that's, that's also going to be up in the post about this because that sounds 
fabulous. They won. They won Halloween, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, wow. That's so that is good stuff. Good on them. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, excited to see. Excited to see what the Barracuda do uh, the rest of the year. You know, I, I don't know the AHL very well, but are they a team? Maybe they could make a Calder Cup run. You know, who knows? I think there's. You know, last year the the Black Aces, so to speak, uh, didn't join the Sharks until after uh, they were eliminated from the playoffs. So I think you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna try uh, to to win, and that's and that's a good thing too. I think for the Barracuda fans and, and to go to Barracuda games, you know, with this team, there's a lot of promise on that Barracuda team, but they're they they want to win hockey games, and they're not. You know, even though the development is important, they're still. You're still. If you go to one of those games, you're going to see a team that has a chance to win every single night. And you know, I think partially because of the farm system, you really have haven't seen that from the Worcester Sharks and now the Barracuda over the last couple of years. So they're they're it, the Sharks are just in a good spot throughout the organization. This has been a very few, yeah, it's been a very few good podcast. Yeah. That's good. We needed one of these. Okay, my computer is almost <laughs> dead, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. That's fine. That's fine. We we've got a Sharks play the Coyotes. Tuesday night. I don't know when you're listening or watching this. And yes. then uh, they'll come back home and they've got the Flames and the Penguins. Um, all three of those games are very winnable. I think the Sharks played well enough to win at least two periods yeah. against the Penguins. They really, really, really are going to definitely yeah. lose this game against the Coyotes. Just absolutely. Uh, this feels like a game that the Sharks are just textbook going to lose. That they're going to outshoot stupid Mike <laughs> Smith. 45 to 15 and lose one nothing. Mike Smith's hurt, so it might be uh, oh, Lewis, Lewis right. Deming. Uh, I know. Well, then it's a backup goalie. That's almost worse. Someone's going to score lose. their first goal. Yeah, uh, right. Right. Max Domi's going to have a hat they'll trick. They'll lose 3-2. They'll go to overtime. Something like that will happen. Calgary, they'll probably blitzkrieg. And then, uh, you know, I'm, right. I'm excited to see that Pittsburgh game because I think – Me too. I like the, I think the first Sharks won another game, crack at them. I think it's, it's also going to feel like a it's going to feel like a real rematch. Crosby's back, Latang could be back that game. I I want those guys both to be in the lineup because I want I want that barometer of okay how much has this team changed? Because you know yes they played well for those two periods, but not the best player on the planet and a team without a top fifteen defenseman in the league and Chris Latang like that's you know yeah. Pittsburgh's blue line isn't much to write home about with Latang in the lineup, not. and without that him, the guy has uh, sucked. He has been bad. His I, his development is one of the stranger things I think I've, uh, I've seen. Someone's going to get him. For he cheap and he hit a, he's hit a wall, and I yeah, don't really have an explanation I why. I don't know. They probably no should have kept someone to pray instead of trading him to Anaheim, which now is just going to bite the Sharks for the next however many years. Simone that trade it. is uh, one of the most infuriating trades that's ever been made that hasn't involved the Sharks for me because I see that trade. I'm like, okay, so you made a bad trade that hurt the Sharks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Thank you. Are, you. you are, they, already, they already traded away Ben Lovejoy, too. That's the hilarious uh, part. They traded him away. Just, uh, even good teams do dumb shit. That's going to be the name of my book. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake Sundstrom and at Fear the Fin. You can follow Marcus at Marcus P. White. We'll be back next Monday, probably a lot earlier than this, because this is yes. not great for our sleep schedules uh, going forward. So thank yeah. you for listening or watching or both. We'll uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye, guys. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.